Just over a week ago, a number of us went across the street to Calvary Baptist Church for what they called prayer and a movie. The movie was the documentary Emmanuel about the murder of nine people at the Mother Emanuel AME Church in Charleston, South Carolina a few years ago. The people who were killed were gathered there in a prayer group, and their pastor was the first one shot and killed by a white supremacist. It was a powerful and moving experience to watch that film and pray with those people. Especially for me, powerful and moving to be there with them, our neighbors, in their sanctuary. And I'm grateful for that gathering and for those of you who were able to be there. We made a good showing that night. And particularly, I'm grateful for the connections that happened there. They made me more hopeful than I have been. The real story of that film is not about the killings, nor about the history or the reality of racism in Charleston and in our country, though the film touches on those things. No, the focus of this particular film is on the family members of those who were killed, their loved ones, and how they responded to this horrible tragedy. How some of them were able to forgive the man who took their loved ones away. But none of them planned to do this. One woman whose mother was murdered, she said those words of forgiveness came out of her mouth without her intending to say them. She says that afterwards, some of her family members and friends were actually mad at her for doing this. But she says she doesn't regret those words of forgiveness because she believes they came from God. In our conversation about this after the movie, one of the Calvary folks remembered those words that Jesus said on the cross, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. The conversation that followed gave me a deeper and greater appreciation for our friends at Calvary and for black folks in this country, for how through all those years of slavery and then Jim Crow oppression and segregation and violence and those years of separate and unequal treatment and all this history of both active and passive racism, how that history has shaped the souls of black folk. In this long experience of suffering in this country, there is a strength there that I know little about. Rosa Parks says she sat down at the front of the bus that day because her feet were tired. Reflecting on this, Parker Palmer says, it was a moment 
when she decided to stop living a divided life, decided to stop participating in her own oppression, that she was effectively saying to those police who came up to her, you can put me in jail, but I am no longer going along with your oppressive system. By saying no to your unjust laws, I am freeing myself from a jail that is worse than anything you could put me in. I have to believe that those people in Charleston were doing a similar thing. They were making the choice to not be poisoned by the hatred that that young white supremacist carries in his heart. They were like Congressman John Lewis when he talks about what happened back in the difficult days of the civil rights movement. He says, you beat me, you arrest me, you take me to jail, you almost kill me. But in spite of that, I'm still gonna love you. I was listening to an interview the other day with Ruby Sales, who was a 17-year-old young activist in the civil rights movement down in Alabama. One day, she and several other activists had just been released from jail when they were confronted by an angry white man with a shotgun. He pointed the gun at Ruby Sales, but one of her companions, a white seminarian named Jonathan Daniels, he threw himself between the two and he was shot and killed. For months afterwards, Ruby Sales was so traumatized by this that she couldn't speak. But that moment and the sacrifice that Jonathan Daniels, this white man, made for her, it changed her life. When she could speak, she started speaking up for justice. She testified at the trial of the killer, who not surprisingly was found not guilty by a jury of 12 white men. Ruby Sales continued to use her voice and her spirit to work for justice and healing and reconciliation. She went off and got a theological degree. And now she's this public theologian. And the other day I heard her say words that when I heard them, I immediately knew I was going to have to share them with you. Here's what she said. There's a spiritual crisis in America there's a spiritual crisis in white America, and it's a crisis of meaning. We talk, about, we talk a lot about black theologies, but I want a liberating white theology. I want a theology that speaks to Appalachia. I want a theology that begins to deepen people's understanding about their capacity to live fully human lives and to touch the goodness inside of them rather than call upon the part of themselves that's not relational. Because there's nothing wrong with being European-American. That's not the problem. It's how you actualize that history and how you actualize that reality. It's almost like white people don't believe that other white people are worthy of being redeemed. 
those people in Charleston whose loved ones were murdered in a church, they held on to their deeply held belief that even this white supremacist was worthy of being redeemed. What about us? Do we believe that? That people who do terrible things, even they are worthy of being redeemed? In this tradition, we say that we affirm the worth and dignity of every person. But do we believe it? Do we live it? And if not, how do we work on getting from here to there? Because our world needs all the redemption agents it can get these days. When Ruby Sales says, I want a liberating white theology, I want to say back to her, we have one. It's called universalism. It's the belief that God's love is so big that no one is beyond it, that we are, all of us, of us part of a great mystery, a great love that will never let us go. The question is, when are we going to start acting like it? I know it's not easy, but it is possible and it is our calling to reach for the better angels of our nature, as President Lincoln put it. It's in our tradition going all the way back to Jesus who said, you've heard the law that says love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true children of the Holy One who gives sunlight to both the evil and the good, who sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there in that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. We have this culture of death in our land. We believe that we can create peace by manufacturing more and more weapons. We believe we can make our lives safe by locking people up and throwing away the key. We have this history in our country of people actually gathering to celebrate capital punishment killings, the way people did when they used to show up at lynchings. But under our saber-rattling and all our bluster, ours is a culture of fear and anxiety. That's the bad news. The good news is that we each have within us, I believe, the longing to be free, the longing for peace and goodness, for connection and reconciliation. In these anxious times, we need to be in touch with these wellsprings of hope and faith. We need to be working on and working out a liberating theology for these days, practicing universalism, saying 
I may not like you, I may not understand you, I may be opposed to all you stand for, but still I see you as human with a heart and a soul. I believe you are worthy of being redeemed. At the same time, we need to have courage to be in touch with the truth that ours is not a theology for the faint of heart. How about we give our hands to this struggle? Both the inner struggle, the struggle that's in each of us and the one that's out in our world these days. It helps maybe to begin by being mindful of the distance between where we are and where we need to go. As we heard Mary Oliver say, another morning and I wake with thirst for goodness I do not have. And then to not be discouraged by that distance, but rather energized by it, challenged to keep on moving forward, engaging in this good and hard work. Love for the earth and love for you are having such a long conversation in my heart. Here's what we are about, practicing redemption for ourselves, for others, even those who threaten us. Believing, trusting, we are all worthy of being redeemed. And this work is essential, especially these days. I believe that. And the stakes you know are high. So just a few more words from Ruby Sales. She says, this whole business of demonization I've been deeply concerned about it because it does not locate the good in people. It gives up on people. And you see that most especially in the right and in the left. I have been very concerned about the demonization that comes out of right-wing communities and also the demonization that I've heard on the left. And it comes from the same source of displaced whiteness. So I think that there is at the heart of this, this business of finding something good in people, of finding something good in people and not giving up on anyone and not writing anyone's obituary until they no longer have breath in their bodies. Right now, we have breath in our bodies. We have companions for the journey, and we have guides to help show us the way. We have this mysterious life in the Spirit. Who knows what lies ahead? May we have hearts strong enough to believe that no one is beyond redemption. And may we have the faith that come what may, the Spirit overseeing all, eternal love remains. Amen.